All right. Happy Friday, everyone. And it's time for another episode of Learning Tech Talks, where we're exploring the landscape of learning tech, cutting through the fluff, and helping you do digital right. So today I'm joined by Austin Welsh and Richard Fleming, and we are talking about cinematic video and the power video can have for L&D. So if you're joining us live, give us a like, thumbs up, tag in somebody, share it, do all that good social stuff, um, and comment in. Let us know where you're joining from. So today I'm joining from Waukesha, as always, uh, where it's actually, today's going to be amazing. I'm so excited because it's been awful. It's been so hot and humid. It's been terrible. I hate the heat and humidity. And today it's going to be the perfect, like 72 degrees out. So I'm looking forward to, I'm off today. I'm going to take the kids out and have tons of fun. So how about how about you, Austin and, and Richard? Where are you guys today? We are uh, in Denver, Colorado, where it is beautiful and 72 almost every day. Yeah. <laughs> We're spoiled, right? That's the that's the normal temperature there. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's it's, it's gorgeous. So I'm hoping for the same thing. I get this, do this talk, and uh, and then hopefully head out and um, take the rest of the afternoon off in this beautiful weather. Oh, really? Okay, interesting. He's <laughs> like, oh wow. So you're gonna take off? I'll be I'll be busy taking care of business while. Yeah, while- you take a lot of breaks lately, Austin. <laughs> You know, it's funny. I uh, I grew up. I was actually born in uh, in Loveland, so familiar with the Colorado area. Yeah. And yes, the weather is is pretty awesome out there. So I will yeah. say that's one of the things I miss. I miss. It looks like people are joining from all over. We got Texas. We've got Arizona. <laughs> Renee is hydrating, which yeah, in Arizona, I would imagine 112. I would not be outside, just so you know. Yeah, I would not be outside, Renee, if it was 112 degrees. I would be sitting in the house doing a lot more than hydrating. It doesn't so, matter how much you drink either. You never uh, get you never no, get there. No, it does not. That does not matter at all. So then the other question that I have, right? So everybody, question of the week, everybody knows this. We're not going to do anything too crazy. But on the theme of video, all right, so what's a movie that you've watched multiple times, right? You've seen it multiple times, not just once, and you, do, you don't get sick of it. You could watch it. I could turn it on right now, and you'd be like, you know what, Learning Tech Talks, no thanks. I'm going to go watch this movie again, even though I've seen it 37 times. So let's let's hear it. And Richard, I'm going to let you go first. One, because Austin said we might have to cut you off for the amount oh, of time spend on it. So I'll do a little time check here. But two, I'm actually really curious, because you immediately were like, oh, I, this is easy. Well, I, the, so the thing is, I have like a top like 200 <laughs> just got stupid but the top 10 um i watch regularly like stalker i think is i mean it's considered the greatest movie ever made uh and i watch it probably 20 times a year okay. but recently i've been watching seven samurai and I've, i watched it twice this month um and it's a three and a half hour long epic and the, the movie's fantastic it's from 1954 okay. and i <clears throat> had the the joy of watching it next to Tron Legacy, like someone was like, oh, you should watch Tron Legacy, okay. and like it's really interesting. Yeah. And what's so weird is I'm watching Tron, and I'm like, I'm maybe 20, 30 minutes in, and I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like, I have no idea what, not that I don't understand the plot, I just don't care. Like, I don't care where these people are. And the guy's like, wham, my dad's gone, and then now he's back, and then it's like this big thing. And I turn on Seven Samurai, and I had a friend come over, and that was like, I'm not watching a three and a half hour long movie. Like, let's watch 10 minutes and see what you think. Credits roll. And we watched the entire film. And because in the first five minutes, you know immediately what's going on. You don't even need to speak the language or read the subtitles. You can watch the movie with just the action and you know entirely what the context is. And that to me is a movie where I'm like, it's worth watching. Never gets boring. 
All right. All right. Three and a half movie, three and a half hours, and you still rocked it. So it must have been good. All right. All right. Let's hear yours, Austin. What do you got? Um, so I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna go with two two different ones as well. Um, for just straight up aesthetics and cinematic beauty, art design, cinematography, uh, the conformist. Um, which um, I need you, Richard. Do you remember what year the conformist was? Uh, I don't. I think it was '74. Yeah, early, early mid '70s Italian. Um, just stunningly beautiful. Um, for uh, my my tastes are a little bit more lowbrow than than Richard's on some of this stuff. So, um, I'm from Houston, Texas originally, so I'm a huge NASA fanboy. Um, so Apollo 13 is Apollo 13 that I can watch over and over again. Great kind of hero's journey. Um, you know, the man versus the, the dark elements of, of the unknown space, um, and the triumph in the end. Um, I love that stuff. So, so that's one brings that's up like every time. And I'm like, dude, you're a filmmaker now. You're not <laughs> the astronaut thing. Let that ship sail, please. <laughs> I know. Well, I'm like going to be embarrassed to answer now because I'm talking to two like cinemaphiles and I'm like, well, my answer is not going to, although I will say, uh, Richard, we did have, I can't see who it is, but somebody did give a, give a one plus on your seven samurai as a classic. It's so good. It's so good. All right. All yeah. right. <laughs> we got mean girls and clueless. We got Dina. Who <laughs> added those. And I, so here's mine. Good, good all right. And, and this took, this took, uh, it didn't, it took me no time to answer this one. And again, I don't have a lot of like all deep plot and character development, all this stuff. It is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. <laughs> I could watch that movie so many times and not get sick of it, whether it's, you know, whether it's Uncle Eddie when he's emptying out the RV, whether it's, you know, the, the lighting the Christmas tree on fire. I mean, there's just so many classic slapstick hilarious scenes in there and you would think i'd get sick of it when clark you know steps on the wood and whacks himself in the attic and i still laugh like i still laugh about it. even yeah. though i know it's coming oh clark's gonna you know shoot the ice sickle into the neighbor's window and i still die laughing so that's- i mean that's kind of the point right like it's not it's not necessarily about having a certain taste like it's sh- it should be entertaining to you and i think that's the differentiator for us is even though we know movies inside and out like I wouldn't, I wouldn't give anybody any shit for like watching, you know, Ernest Saves Christmas being their favorite movie. Like, you know, it's terrible, like academically, but it's it's still like fun to watch. There are parts of it that are very enjoyable. Yes, yes, I would, I would agree. And yeah, I don't know about Ernest Saves Christmas. That hey, was I, I might leave it alone for Ernest T. World. Jim Barney is a he's a he's a, he's an American icon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, Darren, Darren chimed in. I agree. I've seen the other National Lampoons video, and to me, Christmas Vacation is is just miles apart. So, <laughs> classic, classic Clark Griswold. All right. Well, enough about enough about fun videos. Thanks everybody for chiming in. We had a ton of people uh, throwing in their favorite movies, but let's let's shift gears a little bit because we're talking about video doing it yes. right, right? What the power of this is. But before we get into it. What are your backgrounds? Give me a little bit of insight into, you know, tell everybody like, how, you know, because I think sometimes that helps set the stage for, all right, so how, where did you come from and how did you get into this space? So I don't, I don't care who goes first, but well, I'm just curious how that, how that played out. Sure. Um, so my background was I, I came from marketing and advertising. So way back, and I'm going to 
date myself here. I, um, I started off in advertising selling Yellow Pages advertising and writing copy uh, for, for print advertising. Um, so that was where I kind of like started to hone my craft on creating uh, just writing in general, right? How do I, and, and specifically editing, like boil something down to its purest form to within a, a couple ad. Say that again? To a phone book ad, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? If, I'm, if I have someone flipping through the, the, the phone book, um, what's the imagery? What's the weighting from the design, right? Just basic design aesthetic. Um, and so I did that for a while. And then um, back in 07, I started my own company with a partner, which was a absolutely horrible time to launch a company. <laughs> so that only lasted about 18 months. And, um, and then I, I went to go uh, work for a video production company as a salesperson and a, like a marketing guy. So I went in as a producer, basically. So I was selling, the, the selling video projects and then writing them and directing them. Um, but I did not know how to actually shoot. I was not the technician. Okay. Um, and then after watching these guys, you know, filming on set, I was like, I want to learn how to do that. And uh, so I started buying equipment and teaching myself and buying books. And um, it ended up leaving that company and started my own company that went for a couple of years. And then Richard and I met when I moved up here to Denver and we hit it off and decided that um, we both kind of had the same frustrations within the, the video production industry and decided to, to team up, move away from marketing and advertising into learning design. Okay. Okay. Yep. How about you, Richard? Obviously you, um, obviously you met Austin and we know the story after that, but what, what about before? Uh, so I've been doing this for about 16 years. Um, I started like my own business all the way up to working for agencies. I even got to work on a, a Super Bowl ad. Um, so I have like a pretty extensive career. Most of it was in marketing, advertising, and actually filmmaking and story design. So um, one of the highlights of my career was working for a preferred vendor for Microsoft doing video production. I was what they called a predator, okay. so a producer editor. They basically just would drop me anywhere in the world and be like, "Go." By the way, I would take it that. is. <laughs> it is. Although, yes, if you've met a predator, they're not the most intimidating people, myself <laughs> no. included. Um, so it was a kind of an interesting dynamic where just uh, you drop, you know, drop me off anywhere in the world and make content. So I had to learn everything from script writing and story design all the way to um, lighting and cinematography, which was what I did professionally for many years, and, and that was my real skill set. Um, moving into directing actors and actually editing and doing post work, I did a lot of like sound design and other stuff. I remember the first day I worked for an agency, they asked me to do a recording of someone's voiceover. And so, you know, the, the logic boards they have are really intense. It's all these different sliders and stuff and they're set up by the computer. So the computer controls the hardware. So like you turn the computer on and everything starts moving. And it, it took me about 15 minutes to kind of figure out this person's system and you know, you record it. And then I was then known as the audio recordists from that agency and I could never get away from that. I was like, I don't even do this stuff. Like I just, you know, but learning all those those different aspects help you, uh, help me at least pinpoint um, breaks in that pipeline, like where yeah. things go wrong. Yeah, interesting. Well, it's interesting you talk about kind of that transition and then I wanna dig into one of the points you brought up a bit, Austin, um, is, you know, so my background, kind of related, unrelated, right? My background has always been in L&D, but in completely different capacities. So I, I kind of often joke that I've been in 
pretty much every role that exists in learning and development. I grew up in it. I've been you know, over here. I've done this. I've done that. And to your point, it does help you understand the whole supply chain, right? So you, you know the implications of things. You know, hey, this is where this breaks down. Or when somebody says, hey, can we just do this? You know the ripple effect of, uh, well, no, we can't, or that doesn't make sense, or things like that. And that that breadth of experience does help you, I think, make more strategic, you know, better decisions about some of the stuff. And you see where the breakdowns happen. I think sometimes when you're just in one area, you're so focused on what you're doing, you don't understand right. the downstream effect of the, the mistake you're making that's no big deal to you, but you don't realize 10 steps down the chain, you just caused a, a complete mass. So it happens all the time where you've got like designing with the end in mind is a huge part of our even business strategy. But I often when I'll get feedback about a cut or saying something doesn't work, I look earlier in the videos yep. and then that ripples down and then they don't notice it. Like it's it's so much about sleight of hand and magic, yep. like, like literal, like doing magic techniques to, to, to perform <laughs> sleight of hand. That's all really video editing is. Okay. Yeah. Well, we've got Liz too. Liz also she she still edits, so she she you got a nice fellow editor in there. What oh, hey, Liz. Um. Yeah. And 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 real quick, I wanted to touch upon because some people might be saying like, what are these marketing guys doing in L and D? So the 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 transition into L and D was you know we were randomly hired by a, a leadership development company to create some leadership uh, training films and. We created it not knowing really anything about the, the learning industry and created what we felt was a good story and a good film and something entertaining. And we gave it to the client and it got just really great reviews from the, the audience, from the learners. And we were a little you know, stunned because it was like just normal video production. Normal storytelling, yeah. Yeah, what, what what are they used to seeing? Like, what's the standard? And they sent me some examples of here's, here's what corporate learning looked like. And I was like, holy shit, this is abysmal. Like here's an entire industry that needs our help drastically. And so we shifted over into L and D, you know, we had some, you know, friends who already worked in the industry and they really helped us out. They said, you know, Hey, go and exhibit at ATD and here's some different companies to work with. But basically everything in my life was really building me up to this point because what I learned about you know, behavioral design and motivational theory and psychology and sociology through marketing and advertising directly translates into the learning world. Just now, instead of me only having 30 seconds to drive a behavior, now I might have four hours or four days to, to yeah. do with the training environment. So Richard and I are pretty both very obsessive learners. Um, so dove just head, head first into this and you know, I went, I, I got certified in Kirkpatrick because I was really kind of obsessed with the metric side of it coming from advertising. We always want to be able to prove our success. Um, we started taking courses on learning design and then, you know, just kind of like stacking everything that we knew, you know, like I'll have a book on, you know, designing surveys on top of, you know, Ogilvy on advertising, you know, and it's like, <laughs> um, so they work, they, they work together. Like, flawlessly. And I think people, they, they misunderstand the synthesis of these different fields. Like there's no class that exists. We spend maybe 20 hours a week in professional development. Um, and it is, it's really reading like everything from behavioral economics all the way to, you know, neuroscience. And there's some really interesting research about how the brain responds to media neurologically. And that's been like our focus, which is how does lens choice uh, impact uh, memory and retention? 
Yeah. You know, there's a thing where like I tell people because uh, I see a lot of these presentations and like I see I see people talking like this <laughs> and I'm like, it makes you weak. Put you put your eyes in the third because like it, there's there's a natural tendency for people to have a certain kind of asymmetric balance and, you know, also get close to it because the, the larger a face is in frame, the more likable and memorable a face is. So now you guys are going to hopefully remember me. I knew there um, was a reason that I liked you way more than see? I knew it. I knew there was slightly closer. I just couldn't put my finger on it. <laughs> it's a big deal because, you know, th these are opportunities. I mean, like uh, Kennedy won the election because of this. This was one of the theories of like because he kept he would walk closer to the camera. And so this kind of, you know. Um, I mean, obviously there were other factors involved, but that was a really significant one because television was was being used in politics. So there are all these different case studies that we're we're assessing and stacking together because you have to you have to blend them in in what is statistically significant. So it's not just like oh, this is going to make your learners memorize the rest of the, you know getting closer is going to make your learners memorize everything, but stack that onto something else and it right. becomes much more evident. If you've seen Dunkirk. Uh, people had trouble finding uh, following the main character of Dunkirk because he shot it for IMAX, and you don't want a really large face on IMAX, so he would he would set things back further. This is Christopher Nolan, and he you know a, like a professional like well reputed filmmaker still could you know could benefit from some of these neuroscience principles applied to um, applied well, to. Well, and what's interesting about the two of the things you brought up on that. So the first one I want to dig into is right for people in, in learning and development, what you're talking about, I think is a, from a skill standpoint, I think this is something we can, we can take in learning and development, but I think we can also help our organizations think about this from a talent mobility standpoint. This is where the yeah. whole upskilling reskilling thing plays in where it's like, we need to look beyond people's CVs of, okay, well, you've been in marketing, you're a marketer, like, okay, marketing is as wide as the ocean is deep anymore. What did that person do? What was their cape? Like, what were those skills? And the same thing's true. I know as I've built teams over the years, I didn't always look for L&D people or people who had a learning background. Sometimes it was like, well, maybe I needed that skill set. Maybe I needed, right, a data analytics person, somebody who really looks at data and things like that. Or maybe I needed, right, somebody very creative who can think about design in a different way than than I could, things like that. But I think sometimes we get so locked into like, well, yeah. Sorry, sorry, Austin and Richard, you're not L and D, you don't have two degrees nope. in it. You haven't been in that for your whole career. Seriously. Like, so I don't act, I joke with Austin. I don't think I could get a job uh, outside of the work that we're doing because I, and we've done this thing where like in, in terms of developing our value prop, we'll, we'll submit resumes to places just to test out nothing, like no response because they don't know where to put you. Right. And, and, and people will often ask like, well, you know, are you, are you strict L and D? Like I had somebody um, they, they, I had a, a prospect call me from a university uh, in the Midwest and they they were like, oh, we saw your case study video. We do everything wrong that you're talking about. Will you help us? Then they got on a call. We're like, what's your degree? And I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, well, what do you do with all this BS. And I'm thinking like, like, dude, this is not my research. This is like Frank Dobbin from Harvard. Like, like you're like, go talk to him about his research, like his credentials. I'm, I'm just citing the paper. Like you guys are the ones screwing it up. And right. there was this very weird dynamic of like, uh, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a service provider. What you're doing, yeah. And it's, it's really informing us, but do you have the, the, the credential behind it? And unfortunately there's not a, a specific degree for the kind of work that we do, which is cool if there were. cognitive science, andragogy, and and video production, really, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, well, and and one before before I follow up on that, Renee, I saw you asked a question. Renee asked a question. I'm not quite sure I fully understand your question. So, Renee, if you can actually throw in right more details on what you're asking, I'll I'll bring that one up. But what you're talking about, and I will say, and this is probably uh, I, I can't remember who the quote came from, but but this whole reskilling, upskilling is going to be the mm-hmm. biggest challenge in learning and development, probably in the history of things right now with what's going on. And I think one of the biggest challenges we have right now is it is very difficult to actually measure or know what somebody's skills is, are, what right. they are, right? It's, it's difficult to really quantify or be able to do it. Now, technology is making that easier, I will say, significantly. And that, to me, is one of the most powerful things about where tech is going, is it's actually allowing us to see deeper into what people can do, what they're capable of, things like that. But it's still, it's a tough nut to crack. And so I see where there's some of the challenges there, but I think there's opportunity in our industry and and really organizationally to as somebody said here right like let's disrupt the traditional cv and i think it totally. does be because so what you've you know you may have had one year of experience on repeat 20 times versus five years of really diverse dynamic experience now that is completely right. related to the topic but go ahead anyway, here's the thing i mean because i think that it's the business case like i think what was frustrating about the university situation was we make and save our clients millions of dollars, like millions of dollars. We need to charge more is, what, is one thing. Constantly, I'm awesome about this. We need well, to charge more. Austin didn't go on like breaks, you know, out. When All it's day, every day, go and take naps. <laughs> um, but yes. Um, so, but basically, uh, I think that the, the business case there is like, there's there's real value in this. And you do need to disrupt the traditional CD because they're just, they're like keyword loading and doing stuff that, that isn't optimized for what you need. You can't solve an innovative problem or come up with an innovative solution using conventional methods. Like I, I, I get very frustrated when clients will come back and be like, "Well, we want something that's we want to mitigate risk, but we want something innovative." Not possible. Like the very definition is, it's impossible for that. You can try to reduce risk, but the point of of, of innovation is like you're, you're inspiring a whole new way of thinking. Yeah, it's just it's bizarre to me. Yeah. Well, and. and, and well, I just want to briefly mention like uh, Kelly Palmer from Degree talks a lot about this like upskilling challenge. And, and that's her prediction, which is like, this is one of the biggest things uh, that we're going to be we're up against because it's not even just about, um, you know, training people. It's about curating content. There's there's an overwhelm of of experts out there. And I see thought leadership stuff everywhere. And it's, it's like, I need people who are doers. Yep. And so I think Austin and I are moving into that space of saying, look, I don't need to teach you anything more about the the video aspects let's do it like let's let's come in there and actually like solve problems well and on that topic i think that's that's an opportunity area from my perspective in learning and development in in many cases right there's a lot of there's a lot of what i would call you know education we're in the education space where it's like well let's tell people you know what they need to know let's let's build that knowledge base like how about let's just get them doing it right let's let's put them in this and i think we won't get into the whole workflow learning conversation because then that just takes another bend. But I, I think that's been a big part of my platform is let's advocate for action. It, it, nothing wrong with education is good for people to know. And, and even it is. That, right. You need to understand what you're doing. You can't just go out with a machete and start hacking through the jungle. You can, but you, you're going to learn through the school of hard knocks. But let's also put p- things into action. So let's let's kind of transition this a little bit into. Sure. So let's talk about this because you said part of what you were doing with this was, you know, as you, as you gained your experience, you saw some of the frustrations or challenges with what happens with video. And you've, you've seen some of the corporate learning video that's out there. 
what are some of these things that you you see that you go that you just you can't do this like this isn't the way to do it are there some animation up to top of mind Animation's a big one. People using animation as though it's a panacea. They think it's cheaper and it actually has zero improved learning. Okay. Um, so basically like submitting a white paper, it's kind of like along the same lines of people believing that learning styles are a real thing yeah. and they're catering to that and it's creating a real detriment to their, their learning and development. And, you know, I, I think that the challenge for us is saying it's not about like being, you know, um, elitist or anything about the quality of video. It's really more about like, are you using it functionally? And this can come down to like, I, we had a client that wanted a, they had a message from the CEO, which sounds like a great idea. They wanted to cascade that throughout the organization. So the problem though, is that the people they were speaking to were like the janitors and the people who are cleaning. And a lot of these people were homeless. Like they worked for the organization and they did not have a place to live. And this is like across the board, right? Like it depends on, you know, and this is the industrial, this is hospitality, this is medical. Um, they have this, this disadvantaged group having a message from the CEO is like tone deaf. Like you're not, you're not connecting with them in the way that, that you really could be by speaking about the, the you know, the, the representative. So it's basically like, you know, if you've ever had an L and D person say, well, you know, if you want to talk about, um, you know, diversity and inclusion, have a person of color. And it's like, that doesn't make any sense. Cause like, what's your market? What's your conversion? Right. Like, you, like who's your audience? Do you understand who you're speaking to? And it, it basically becomes like trying to convert the converted and, and, and that's not true, like in all cases, it's just, it's something to consider. And most of them don't because they think, well, conventionally, this is what we should do. Yeah. Well, conventionally, nothing like your culture is unique to you. Well, how does your culture respond? That's the question you should be asking. Not like we should just have blank because of, you know, being PC. Or so two things on that, right? And I'll, I'll get to kind of the point that I, I think you're getting at which so the animated one i completely agree with you i I actually right there's a place for it and i think it can be a powerful when used strategically right but i remember i was with one organization right when the whole sketch animation thing was becoming the boom and you just you wanted you felt like you were in an episode of clockwork orange right (laughs) i can't watch any more sketch videos and they're like 30 minutes you're like you cannot do this for 30 minutes of like this stuff but what had happened was right one took off it got good and people said oh animated videos the thing so we should do everything in that and that's where i see a lot of things in lnd go from right it turns into a trend and you're like vr ar yeah yeah, VR gamification. gamification. I could go on where it's just like, hey, whoa. And I think the point you're getting at, which to me is, it's not just with video. It's about putting that critical thought into like, what are you trying to do? Right. And what is the right tool for the job to do that? And actually thinking Absolutely. critically about this, because if you just say, well, a message from the CEO, people want to hear from leaders. Like, okay, yeah. ooh. Who, who is the leader in that spectrum, right? And how is they, or how are they trying to communicate? You know, and to your point, right, to to a bunch of uh, a workforce that you know maybe homeless. The CEO sitting in his office with <laughs> saying, "You can be whatever you want," and it's like, no, like, well, you just missed the mark. So, and and I guess just to answer the question, like animation is really good for things that are abstract, where you have principles that are very difficult to envision or that have that a sense of scale removed. So if you're talking about like planetary bodies that are of such magnitude that it's impossible for my brain to really put them into context, 
animation's great. They're also good for getting a, a, a attention if you want people through a different kind of U, UX UI experience. Meaning like, if I'm on a website and I have an animated video, as long as it drives more action, that's great. But if you expect conversion or you expect memory and retention to be a factor, they're at odds. And, and, and similarly, like using live action video is great with real people because you're connecting, uh, if, it's, if it's soft skills training, it's perfect because you've got people you know, giving all these nuances in their micro expressions and you're helping people reinforce that. If you do an eye tracker and watch um, the results, it's almost always with people's eyes as the actor on screen. So like people are engaged and they're trying to connect with this person as though it's a real person. Okay. So you so don't you don't want to you don't want to lose that advantage by by you know having a a series of slides that are just animated because you're talking about like how to shake someone's hand, you know, okay. or how to like you know. Um, and just start to let the audience know, you know, the, our clients come to us specifically with these soft skill issues. So that's the majority of what we're doing is soft skill, yeah. whether it's around harassment or leadership or ethics. So we're not really engaged in the hard skill side of of learning. Um, so. We definitely come from the bias of, <laughs> of yeah. focusing on the soft skill aspect. Okay. Well, and, and right, and that's just it. It's not saying animated videos ineffective. It's about that other. So, what what are some other ones where you see where folks you know may be like, hey, we want to let let's talk about the kind of like message from the CEO type thing. Where do those talking head type right? Where where would that really play in? Where you say, hey, if this is this is the problem you're trying to solve, then a then a well done right leadership type thing where where would that play in terms of how does that play on on the audience if you need a oh sorry go ahead but oh i was just gonna say if you need a personal connection and you okay. need you, you need something like um i i've worked a lot with um trauma therapy and so people like presenters who are basically teaching people how to overcome really severe trauma and i think proximity and connection and authenticity come across on camera as long as you set the stage for those things what we're seeing is that these kind of talking head videos, the aesthetics are starting to really matter. We had one client that um, they had us translating some of their old material to new material. And they had all this like stuff in the way. And it was like way wide and kind of that thing I was saying about like having the head low, like, you know, this huge headroom and all these things that like, I think distanced people. And so we kept, we kept trying to get closer and closer and closer. And I think that that talking head stuff is fine. As long as like, you know, you, you just jump into it. And I would caution people. What my, my biggest tip is stop starting videos with, hi, I'm Richard Fleming and I'm with Sage Media and I'm here to talk to you about, it's like, just get into the material. Stop wasting time. Stop with these like 30 second logo stings. Just, and, and start with something that challenges a viewer's um, conventional understanding of the world. Meaning like, so there's one trauma uh, um, instructor who was, she started her talk by saying, Contrary to popular belief, time does not heal all wounds. And that was so powerful because you, you're like, well, I thought the saying was time heals all wounds. But immediately you're like, you're in your head thinking like, well, I don't believe that. I don't agree with that. And you're engaged because you're, you're now like, you lean, we, we watch people watching our content and they physically lean forward. That action is them being like, I have attention. And that's what you want, even if it's talking head. So start with like within learning design, right? We're taught, you know, state the objective, you know, right. You're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. Right. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, what we're really doing is, is how do we launch them? How do we engage them immediately? It's not 
that, you know, in some of these situations that they know what the learning objective is. Actually, I don't want them to know the learning objective. I want them to discover that for themselves. And that gets into some really interesting, you know, psychological research we do, like around self-determination theory, which is how do I leverage autonomy in the learner to engage in, and kind of guide themselves to this new truth? And so to give you an example, we did a, a bystander intervention training, which is kind of a new approach to anti-harassment. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, we start the film off and it's very <laughs> disorienting, right? You, we don't, you, the, no presenter comes out and says, here's what the training is going to be, or here's what you're going to learn. It literally just starts with this very weird political campaign ad. And, and, and you'll see the learners do that thing where they're like, and we've had learning people say, like, hey, I, I viewed your course. Um, the intro is very confusing. I think you should state the objective. And it's like, but did you continue to watch? Yes. Were you in all seven minutes of the first module with yeah, unbroken you, attention? Okay. Did you did you want to know what was going to happen next? Well, yeah, but no, 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 no. Nope. <laughs> okay. You're doing the thing that we, we, we designed it to do, which is that I want to pull you into this experience and, and get those wheels turning. Because when we're talking about something we're like bystander intervention, this is a new concept that m many people have never heard of. They don't have the, the tool set to actually do this thing. They want to, but there's psychological restrictions and sociological aspects that keep us from speaking up. Um, so it's not as simple as, you know, well, today we're gonna talk about bystander intervention and the three tools that, you know, I need to find that intrinsic motivator that gets them curious about this to really pull them along to hopefully shift that behavior, right? Yeah. So a that lot of people, a lot of people think they know how sausage is made. True. Well, so they come you know, in and, and yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, Dina brought this up earlier that I think storytelling is a skill that is much needed in 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 many regards right whether yeah. it comes to learning and development whether it comes to marketing whether it comes to even just the way we interact with colleagues and things like that right i mean because i can't remember the research study i was reading the other day but you read about and people make so many decisions based off emotion and stories not necessarily facts they'll be faced with facts yeah. Yet they will go with a compelling story. And there's no shortage of that going on with COVID-19 right now where you're like, yeah. the data shows up and people are like, I know, but I read this article on Facebook and I just, my mind is blown about, and you're like, what just happened? And it's like, well, people are, not, and I think you got to be careful with it. But I think what the lesson we can take from that is telling very compelling stories is so important and so often just overlooked. We just jump to the facts. Like, let's just yeah. tell people things. Well, and so hard, right? I mean, think about how many authors are out there that have, you know, spent years writing books that never take off or movies that flop or ad campaigns that create such a backlash that they have to recall the, the ad campaign. I mean, storytelling is hard, hard work. And I mean, Richard and I spent so much time battling out, you know, a story because it's like we come up with the idea and then we just we're constantly tearing it apart and saying, what's the weak link here? What, why would this work? Why would this not work? And um, I think it, you know, it takes a certain type of crazy to want to <laughs> like, yeah. Well, I, so, like so, so go, go for it, Richard. And then I've got well, just to like, there are a couple things that I, I, this brings up for me. And, and one of them is I had a, a prospect come by our booth at ATD one year and 
the guy was like, um, you know, what do you do? And he saw our banner and I said, well, do you want the, do you want the, the creative explanation or the technical? And he says, technical. So I tell him, he says, well, I, I thought I was looking for software that would analyze people's faces and judge the, judge the micro expressions to see if there was a good sales interaction. Okay. Do you have that? And it was just like, I, I think you're asking the wrong question. Like you're dealing with human beings. We're not automatons. We're not like units of productivity. And uh, in asking the question about that, it was forgetting the fact that like, unfortunately, most of our decisions are, I mean, I would say almost entirely rooted in, in, a, in an emotional yeah. uh, choice that is then explained later rationally. And mm-hmm. so if you're not appealing to people's emotions, you're losing them entirely. And, and I think that the, the, the difficulty here in blending the art and science portion is saying, well, there are things that statistically are relevant and significant. And there are things that like, you know, that we're, we're talking about the way the brain works and, and this very specific kind of structure. But at the heart of it is like, do you care about what you're telling people? And do you care about what you're doing? And I've, I've seen this even with compliance training where people are like, well, they just have to learn it. And I'm like, if someone came to you and said, you just have to learn it, just suck it up and do it. Would you be like, oh yeah, let me swallow that hole. Like, like, no, you're, you're, you're really like wanting to uh, find the thing that would incentivize them. And so the question I ask people, which I love this is, could you imagine anti-harassment training that would make like, you know, white men, for example, just clamor to take it because they're a, they're a difficult demographic. So like, could, but could you imagine what it looked like? Like actually seriously, like, like put all judgments aside come up and create something where you, where they would be like, I need that. Like, yeah. I, I, like I, I need more of that. Like, that's the challenge. You've solved that problem. I mean, that's what we, we tried to do. I think we, yeah. we got very close. Um, but it, it's like thinking of the motivation of like, what do you want to watch? What do you want to learn? Yeah. And a lot of this goes back to what salespeople have always known, right? They talk about yeah. you sell on emotion, you close on logic. Right. And this is the same stuff that, you know, Jonathan Haidt talks about with the elephant and the writer. It's what, uh, Kahneman, Danny Kahneman is talking about with system one and system two thinking. Mm-hmm. If we cannot bypass that emotional aspect, that emotional buy-in, we cannot make our way to the logical decision maker of the brain, right? And that's what story is so great at is that, you know, as soon as I say, let me tell you a story, there's a there's something that happens in your brain where you settle in and say, okay, I'm ready to hear what's going to happen. Right. Yeah. Because now it's time for me to learn something new that's probably going to be interesting and entertaining in a way that I hadn't thought of before. And that's how we want to leverage story, because as we create these soft skill trainings, we're tackling problems that have been problems forever. And we, we you know, they're real complex. Right. Like, how do I teach ethics in a way where someone says that's part of my internal core being? Not because, you know, the FCC says that I have to earn to it. Yeah. Well, what's funny is on a, so I was, I had a friend who, uh, you know, we were, we were chatting and she worked for a, uh, organization. They did, they did power lines. It was a power company oh, no. and yeah. it had a bad incident. They'd had a bad incident where somebody had not used their safety equipment. Right. And, you know, the person fell almost died. Right. And all this stuff. And it was terrible. And so we were talking and as we were, she was sharing this challenge. She's been tasked with now training the organization on how to use the safety equipment. And needless to say, we had this discussion. And as we as we brainstormed together, I said, why don't you bring the person who almost died in to tell their story, to tell the story of why they made the decision not to use the safety equipment, you know, right. it, why they did this, why the impact that that had on their family, like have them tell their story. It was so simple 
but right, she she was on this path to go, you know, down and, and actually just find some compliance training, do all this other stuff. And instead we simplified it. We said, have this person come in and tell their story and tell the organization their story. And the impact was monumental, right? Yes. Compared to had they rolled out an e-learning that says, make sure you clip into your harness because if you don't, you might fall, versus hearing this individual actually say, I didn't because I thought, right, I, I have this figured out. I, I It's not windy today. I'll be fine. And he told this whole story about how this right. simple mistake not to clip his harness almost cost his life and took away the father of his three children. And I mean, like she said, being on this thing, just, it was dead silent. And the impact that that had on the organization was significantly better. And so it's, it's that kind of stuff where you can just go, wow. And I think yeah. that's so much that we can take from that. There's a lot of like, and this is the motivation, like uh, self-determination theory, motivation theory that we're, we're really trying to promote, which is like, you know, people learn best when they see negative examples. And I can't tell you how many organizations are like, we just want to tell positive stories. It's like, why do you want them to learn less? Like, what's the, what's the harm or what's the, what's the concern that you well, have it's like with learning? Sometimes it's like, well, we don't want people to make mistakes or fail. And it's like, right. like it's inherent in learning <laughs> that's what drives people to learn. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and also like I was thinking about, I mean, I don't know if you've uh, read Kahneman's stuff. Um, I, I'm finding a lot of people haven't actually read his stuff, but it's really worth checking out. But he talks a lot about this and just like, um, you know, the the idea that people learn better when you um, give them positive reinforcement. And so he talks about this thing called, um, um, uh, what's, do you remember the name of it, Austin? It's like uh, not convergence toward the mean, but, but regression to the mean. Regression so regression to the mean, to the mean yeah. is basically like, you know, I yell at somebody, they do better. Uh, I praise somebody, they do worse. They're invariably going to regress toward the mean. And yet people will tell themselves a story that it's because they got better that negative reinforcement or punishment actually makes it, improves it. And it's like, no, you just don't understand statistics that they're invariably, <laughs> someone who did poorly once is going to do better the next time. And someone who did really well once is going to do worse the next time. That's how learning works. Yep. Um, but it's like, so convincing people of things like that is like, I think organizationally the biggest challenge. And, and so if you're an HR or if you're, a, you know, an instructional designer or you're head of culture or learning, those are really the challenges you have to talk to your stakeholders and the executives um, that are in your, in your corner and to get them on, on board with you trying to say, look, I know it's going to sound weird and you're going to see a lot of numbers that look scary, but trust in, in the, the, the long game. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it gets back to what we're talking about, right? Is, and this is the challenge in L&D is keeping yeah. employees in the zone of proximal development, right? Where you're, mm -hmm. you're pushing them just enough that they're, they're in this stress zone. You're not pushing them too far. That right. the, the thing is that's constantly evolving because the better they get, the harder you have to push. And I think this yeah. gets to where personalization is, has historically been challenging to me, which is where tech is really, it was changing. Now that's a completely different topic, but I think this is it's relevant though face and it's relevant that it's like, this is what we should be trying to do is always trying to push our employees to that next level of, of challenge. And, and by just kind of setting the bar low and saying, Hey, everybody did it. You're not actually driving the organization to develop. So and real success I, I just want to add real success for me is when you can get employees to want to engineer obstacles for themselves. And that's when you have a dedicated learner. So when I, I mentioned Kelly Palmer um, from Degreed often talks about how like the real skill that you want to be looking for in what a, what a good employee is, is their aptitude for learning, their interest in learning. Yeah. So meaning like 
do what do they what do they like to do on the off times? That's what you want to be looking at because if if they're motivated to be good learners, they're going to help you. Yeah, they're going to build themselves much faster. Yeah, and that that gets into some interesting stuff around like audience evaluation, right? Like so, you know, whenever we're creating a, a video or you know a training film. <clears throat> I think a lot of people think like, oh, you just didn't, you know, kind of make up a story that, that will be yeah. interesting. And um, so much of what we're doing when we're creating a training film and a story with actors and locations and drama is that it's all informed by the learning design, right? I mean, yeah. and so to, to give people an, an idea of what's possible, like I could, you know, we're, we're really trying to blur the line between entertainment and education, right? So I could take the first season of Mad Men and write a curriculum around how to run an ad agency or Interesting. investment training, or, I mean, there's a ton of things. So I could take that content that's already there. It's already teaching us, right? We watch, right. Mad when we watch Breaking Bad, when we watch Sesame Street, whatever it is, we're learning something about the world. All we're doing at that point is like, well, how do I create a curriculum that ties into that? So that's exactly what we do whenever the, you know. That's our company, like entirely. What we yeah, do. it's like, how do I create a episode, you know, something that's as entertaining as Mad Men, but that also has a curriculum that ties into it. But a lot of that work that's necessary on the front end is it's not just Richard and I coming up with an interesting story. What makes the story interesting is understanding our audience and understanding the company culture that they work in and then saying, OK, how do I create a story that applies directly to that person? Right. right. What it's integral. Hires that person so that I can speak to them on their, in their language. And I think that's part of the, the problem, you know, that we, we confront with some trainings is that people want to create something that works speaks for everybody. Right. You have a employee, 200,000 employees around the world. And it's like, we want a training that speaks to everybody. And it's like, these are very different people, right? It's yeah, like, yeah. You've got cultural boundaries. You've got, I mean, you've got all sorts of challenges that you're over, right? It's the peanut butter spread approach. And it, it just doesn't work when you say, well, we just want to do the one thing and we just want to smear it across the organization and hope, hope for the best. So that, that actually Some ties, things, into, yeah. ties into something that I'm curious your take on, because I think one of the ways that I've seen our industry try and tackle some of this, right? You start to see social learning becoming yep. uh, a bigger, a bigger trend right now. And I think it's in some ways it's been an attempt to try and democratize this stuff and also be able to say, well, we recognize we can't create one video that addresses the masses. So let's have people tell those stories. And I can tell you, I've seen, <laughs> I've seen more than one of those initiatives, you know, go south because the idea that, well, everybody's got an iPhone, right. And I've been in these in conference meetings where this happened, everybody has an iPhone. Yep. Let's just task everyone with creating Right, their their video of what to do, and then we'll see what happens. And you see this stuff come in, and you go, "Ooh, right." <laughs> I don't think this is going to drive. But how do you you know, are do you have any suggestions for that type of stuff? Where it's like maybe because what you're talking about, and some of the things we're talking about, and this is where you know when you're in senior learning roles, you're constantly making these decisions of okay, we can't invest right into a cinematic type thing for every single thing that we need to do now and you shouldn't and we shouldn't right so we can't do that so when you have these things where do you say hey where can some of these scrappier maybe less 
kind of fine tune. Yeah. Where do those play and how do you maximize that? So it doesn't end up being the Hindenburg and you're right. like, oh, <laughs> learning video stroke. And then, Oh no, it was terrible. It's, it's the idea of like Flannery O'Connor's got that quote. Everyone knows a good story until they sit down to write one. And it's the same, same thing. And so I, I think if you have anything external facing or even internal facing within the organization, you should not have user generated content necessarily. Like just, I mean, I think there are certain exceptions to it. Uh, but but you've had somebody like us come in and do some kind of cultural SWOT analysis to say, okay, this is actually functional for your organization and you should be doing this yeah. um, because you've set the parameters for people to be like, oh, like this shouldn't be high quality. It would look weird if somebody did, right? It's like you go to, to Billings, Montana and, you know, you've got, uh, you know, your girlfriend's got high heels on and you're wearing a tuxedo. It's like it, you're not dressed appropriately for the party. And so like people are at odds, it might be completely appropriate in another context, but you have to know what the culture is and what's, what the, the people are familiar with. The, the user generated content, I find the most impact when users are using storytelling as a way to demonstrate competence in a subject. Yeah. So, uh, but this is assuming there are students and they are giving you things to evaluate. The biggest challenge with social learning anyway is, is evaluating content because there's so much of it. Right. right. If, I, if I hold a film festival, I've got to sift through hours of garbage, you know, and, and to find the gems that I want. And I think the same thing applies in learning. So like, hundreds of hours of garbage. Oh my God. It's like, I mean, you learn a lot about how to tell a story when you watch people not being able to tell a story. Like watch Birdemic. Birdemic is one of the worst movies ever made. And it's like you learn so much about like how not to tell a story or all the technical elements that like you take for granted, like uh, atmosphere in, in the sound, like the the. It's crazy. Anyway, uh, but I think that the, that you having people use their technology to say, well, I'm going to demonstrate uh, competence, like basically by going and making a short film that my trainer evaluates. That's fine. I mean, but but you don't want brand liabilities. And I think the idea is people they are so dogmatic about their view of media. It's either video ga games cause violence, or it's media has no impact on us whatsoever and doesn't affect learning. And I'm like, no, like there's a lot of gray area that's really significance. Like, or sorry, yeah, because I, I think like the video games don't cause violence. They increase aggression, just as why they don't cause violence. Um, and you can have some really serious develop, developmental issues with your kids if they're exposed to constant uh, programming. They actually like their pupils don't dilate correctly. They have like anxiety and autoimmune stuff going on. Like all these things are really it has a profound impact on us. And I think that people undermine the importance and using it responsibly. That's the biggest thing for us is like, we're in this field because we think that media needs to be used responsibly. And, and if it can help you learn faster and better, like that's great. That's what we want to do. Yeah. Got it. Got it. So, okay. Well, and so I'm, I'm also curious your take on this, right? Because this is again, a balancing act where, um, even even professional stuff, right? I, I've seen some things come out where sometimes the polished corporate type stuff can almost disconnect people from things. So there's there's this fine balance of making it feel professional while at the same time making it feel authentic. In that sense, you know how how have you seen that? Have you seen that play out one way or the other? Are there suggestions? That, or again, is I mean, really the theme I'm seeing come out of this is think critically about your audience and what you're trying to do, but how, how do you balance that? Well, so the thing is, it's like the quality of it isn't the issue. It's, okay. it's the, the storytelling is an argument. It's something that you aim to prove or disprove. It's causal. If you are ambitious, 
then it will lead to your own ruin. That's Macbeth, right? If you are jealous, then you will end up destroying the object of your affection invariably. Like that's Othello, right? All of these things happen. The learning design portion is exactly the same. If you are distracted, it will lead to a disaster. Like you're creating causation. And that's, I mean, even your story of like, the guy tells the this, this story of, I made a simple, small, insignificant choice that had massive ramifications. So like it's the ripple effect. And there are all these like great stories. We even put together a, um, like a checklist. So if people are interested, uh, they can go to story.sage.media. Um, and that's actually, we have like a free downloadable that, that that's a checklist to say, like, when you're designing a, a story, are you considering these dimensions? Because these things are kind of important. But but the, the gloss factor is not the issue. The issue is the message. I've seen commercials that were very highly produced and the underlying story structure, again, this costs you nothing to work on. Like you don't have to have high quality media and you don't have to have a huge budget, but you need to take the time to think about what the underlying point is of your argument and then position it with laser focus. Okay. We had a client um, want us to do a commercial and they were talking about this career center. And they had like, if you go to the career center was what we, we had designed. If you go to the career center, then you have a chance at growing in the business. So that was the causation. They got nervous about all these other brand associations and wanted to put stuff in like, oh, like other people have done it too, or oh, like, you know, anything's possible. And it ended up becoming like very difficult to follow the message because they didn't have the singular focus. And that's one thing I would caution people. So the high gloss things that fail are usually where they have two, diff two different messages smashed together and trying to make them one, okay. or it, it leads them to an unintended consequence, meaning like, I'm trying to say this one thing and I end up being inadvertently offensive. Yeah. Well, it, it so <laughs> the term I use right here, or at least in in my career, right, it's the Franken course, right? Yes, it's the yeah. Franken course where it's it. like, hey, we're trying to tell people to do this, or we're trying to get them to do this. Oh, while we're at it, why don't we also make sure they're doing this? And you know what? That makes me think maybe we should also, since they're doing this, let's throw this into the mix. And pretty soon you have the Franken course, the Franken program, the Franken video that ends up just being so impossible for anybody to actually go through and understand what they're supposed to walk away with that it loses all value whether to your point whether you put the high-end finish you invest tons of money on all custom graphics and all this stuff or right. it's just something you scrappily through together it doesn't really matter because at the end of the day people just can't get through it a buddy of mine uh, i go back to a lot of you know what what we know from marketing right is that like one message one message per ad that's it it's 10 percent so you know, uh, a, a buddy of mine, uh, Tom Carey, recommended this book, Stein on Writing. And okay. in it, he, uh, Stein, he's the guy's a really avid reader and he always recommends awesome books. But in this, uh, the, the equation is one plus one equals one half. And so to Austin's point, like if you add more than these things, you get you get less than There's the diminishing the returns, outcomes. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Complete diminishing returns on it. I, it's the yeah. same, same concept as trying to like homogenize your message and like spread it out to everybody like you you try to please everybody and you please no one it's like right. know your audience create the message that is you know that they can get impassioned about and and make sure that you drive that one specific thing i think it's very hard because there's a the concept of you know we want to be efficient right yeah. yes <laughs> right but, well, but and it, that, that actually, actually, that actually not. Lynn brought up and i'm actually curious your take i've got some thoughts on this but lynn had asked this right because this goes back to this level of personalization and moving away from this idea that let's create one thing for all because that's where the franken course 
a lot of times starts. It's like, well, we're talking to this audience about this and well, these people might watch it too. So why don't we also, right. And then this thing just bloats out. So how, when you've worked with clients, you know, where they're saying we're trying to do this, how, how have you worked to persuade them to say, Hey, you know, whether it's multiple versions, whether it's refining and saying, I know you're, you're saying this, but let's stay focused on this. What techniques have you found to actually help bring people back to that, to say, Hey, this, this is the story we're on. This is the yep. audience we're trying to tell yep. it to. How have you worked through that? We create an umbrella story that is the overarching theme for the business that's very simplified. It has okay. global appeal because it's more about humanist values. Okay. So um, in a project we're working on right now, it's a food safety training film. And the premise is that this woman loses her daughter to a food, a food related illness. Okay. She gets a call about um, from a whistleblower who says, I know the company responsible and they're trying to cover it up. So immediately she's like, in, I'm ready for action. This is it's funny. This is in food safety, but it's 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 pointed because globally people can respond to that. losing a child, yep. and that that signifies. Within that, you have all these characters that you can then drill down even deeper and have like sub uh, arcs. Okay. Like so, imagine Breaking Bad being the umbrella, and then Better Call Saul being the offshoot. I would argue that Better Call Saul's a better narrative, but um, I think that. Uh, you know, you, you now have characterizations for each of them. So imagine if Better Call Saul would be like, um, that's the uh, plant manager version. And now you have a plant manager's narrative going on. And that's a whole other thing that speaks to that specific department and that specific culture. But you have, the, you know, so it still ties into the, the larger framework, yeah. but now you segment and you get smaller. So if people and, and marketing people know this with market automation, they're really good at segmenting and, and autom automating what the message is going to be. So why are not why are learning people not taking the hint from marketing and sales and saying, well, we know that yeah. if someone attends the webinar, they go to this tree. If they don't attend the webinar, they get this whole other line of communication. Do the exact same thing with your learners. That's kind of like the stuff that we do. Yeah. We blend market automation with learning design. What's, what's interesting that you bring up about that, and then I'll, I'll kind of piggyback on what you were saying is, yeah, there's a lot of talk about L and D can take lessons from from marketing, and I yeah. completely agree with that. Right there, yeah. there's a lot about um, you know that side of it. I think where sometimes it goes south is people are like, oh, because marketing does branding, so we need to be better yeah. at, at branding and sending out you know emails telling people mm -hmm. what courses we have. And you're like, that's that's not the journey marketing was on you know for <laughs> ten years, and and that we can take lessons from. Like maybe okay something you, you might be able to pull, but it's not. They're not interchangeable terms. Branding, yeah, and and branding is such no. a complex concept. I mean, like, right. we, it, because we still get requests to do marketing pieces and people will say, well, I want to create a brand film. And it's like, you don't have a like, brand. We don't have a brand, right? Like, <laughs> well, and that gets back to going to your point of, you know, to Lynn's question of, right. How do you, yes. how do you move this upstream? There's no shortage of challenges between it, right? And and she's kind of commenting in, right, that, that, that organizations. And I will tell you, I over my career, it's not always met with, I get it, let's do it. There so, is just kind of this relentless persistence that sticks to it. Well, Go I've got it. this solution for, for Lynn, because basically what we've done is we created a guided clarity session. It's like our mm -hmm. entry level. So people come in. You know, we spend a day, it's 15 grand, takes us a week. And what we pump out is like a 20 page manual that includes the persona learning swim, swim tracks or actual like um, channels. 
So the idea would be like how I would how I would approach this situation like what Lynn's dealing with is segment each of those personas based on what we did for the evaluation. So the guided clarity session determines that. And then we basically go through and say, okay, uh, now you know what the channels are going to be. And here's how you're going to take that broad umbrella story and then segment it to your organization and cascade it throughout. Yeah. And then so then you have, it, yeah. Part of one it is that commitment, you know, where it's, it's, it's we, we go in and we, we do these sessions, which is this design thinking framework. And at the end we say, here's the dramatic premise that we all agree the training is about. Can we sign off on this? Because Done. we are all aligned this now we will always come back to this. This is the rock upon which we are building the training. Yeah. Yeah. Starts to swim out of the lane. We go, no, <laughs> this was well, what we I decided sometimes, on. Right. This goes back to, so, so two things I'll, I'll add. This is where, you know, I I've been asked uh, over the years, like, right. Are you, do you, do you use vendors? Do you use internal employees? Like what's your swing on that? And I'm like, it's both. Right. Both. both because there is, again, back to that critical thinking standpoint of thinking about when is the right time to bring in another voice to help you tell that story in a way that maybe you're it's not jiving, it's not clicking and things like that. And I guess yeah. the, the final closing part that I would add is you know, the organizations where I've had the most success with a lot of this stuff is where organizationally and, and this to me is why having an organization, a well-defined organizational culture and values is so important because when you can map everything going to your point, Richard, of back to that higher level, hey, you work here and whether you work here or there or you know at home or in this country or that, like this is what it means to be part of this company. When you can tell that overarching story, then it's much easier to say, you know what, but in this business function or in this region, this is our character in that story and we yes. can tell that story in that way while still remaining true to the higher level like right we're all we're all one together in this but mm -hmm. the story we're telling or the character we're playing is over here so that we can communicate and drive the message home right what i really want for people and and the biggest incentive for austin and i is there's so much consultancy out there where basically people say your culture is fucked sorry guys like you're screwed and it's like the reality is we want to be able to sit down and say, we're going to help you through this. We're going to actually like get there, get in the dirt with you and, and make it happen. And I, I want more people like that. Cause I, I, even in my experience, I'll, I'll try to buy products and services from people and they'll just be like, yeah, well, you know, your website's crap or whatever. And I'm like, okay, well, what would you do to improve it? And they don't want to participate. They don't want to like actually do the work. And I'm like tired of that. And Austin and I are just the kind of people that want to get down and be like, we're going to, we're not just going to tell you what's wrong. We're going to fix it for you. Like we're going to help you help yourself, but also we're going to do the work for you. And I think that's kind of where I'm trying to find like a, a nice middle ground where we can provide value. We can provide handouts. So if people have things where they're like, I really need this, this would be super useful. Like we'll build it. I mean, it's like, I just want to make sure that it happens and that it, it's converting people in the organization to think differently about how to use media and stories. Yeah. Well, and and so with that, I, I knew we'd run out of time and we'd still be able to just keep going. But so, so fun. <laughs> so this doesn't turn into the three and a half hour movie that, uh, you know, engages your attention so, so much, Richard. We'll, we'll close on this, but I think the big things, this has been great, right? Talking about that blend of what this really takes. And I think, you know, for all of us in our space, whether you're an L&D or not, right, that storytelling piece to me is just so critical and then again the, yeah. the thinking critically about what are you trying to do 
right? If your attitude is like, we just need to check the box and get this out. Well, you're not, you're not going to drive, you're not going to drive a meaningful outcome. But if you really take the time to think it through, think about what you're trying to accomplish, who you're trying to accomplish it with, right? That will then help you make more impact across the board. Yeah. Definitely. Well, this has been great. Thanks everybody for, for all tuning in. Thanks for the comments um, and everybody participating. I shared the link in, in their, uh, the story.sage.media, their, their toolkit. Um, so thanks everybody for being here. Have a fantastic weekend and uh, we'll see you next week.